things that have come up in our society lately is clutter. How much podcast equipment do you have? I won't talk to you about the one I listen to called Out Alive, where it's all about people who have horrible accidents in the wilderness and how they, you know, drag themselves down a cliff. Like there's as awesome as that is, it's probably not exactly the topic that we have for our passage today. Instead, I want to talk to you about this one. Uh, one that I recently heard uh, featuring uh, John Carson, who's a well-known professor who's now been retired uh, from our denominational seminary. Some of you may know him as the author of, of numerous books. He's done some video studies, things like that. And one of the things that he said in that podcast that really stuck out to me, he was giving an interview, uh, sort of on just what, what life looks like at, at this point. He's now at the end of his career as a professional. He's uh, at a point where he's struggling with some, some health issues and things that will uh, probably be with him for the rest of his life. And it was, you know, for you, but for his ministry. And he said something that I thought was really interesting. He said that Christians should be a people who have every confidence in the Lord. That we can be encouraged as we focus on what God is doing rather than on every problem and concern of our world. much of what I see and hear and feel, and I suspect a number of you are in the same boat, it's not constant, but instead it's fear, anxiety, worry. Why is that? Why, on the one hand, do you have a person who, uh, quote, another interview he gave, who is optimistic about what the Lord is doing here and now? And he was talking about a seminary professor for dealing with, at, at this point, the millennial generation, and he says that he is excited probably more about this generation's believers than he's ever been before. And you know, contrast that with what we hear and see on the other side, where it seems like our world is flying out of control. I think he's right. So I emailed Dr. Carson some questions, and I received a response that leads perfectly into our passage this morning. While there are, he pointed out, undoubtedly, many causes for our anxiety, uh, one clear cause that he identified is that we simply don't know what is next. That is to say, if we better knew who God is and what he has done and how he has been faithful through generation after generation after generation, if we actually believing what God's word says, how God has rescued his people time and again, how his greatness and majesty have not been threatened by, by anyone from, from Pharaoh to Caesar and beyond, then that would be a massive cause for keeping our eyes fixed on the rock and for refusing our anxiety. Perhaps that seems like too simple of an answer. 
testimony of the scriptures is that humans are uniquely made in God's image. Uh, throughout the Bible, we find that humans are perfect. In fact, I, I, humanity has a strength. It's not just randomly here, as if God was somehow around there. And I already made a platypus. That's kind of silly. And I made those, you know, those cute little fuzzy pipe up things that live in the mountains and talk to you. But I made something that makes me with the strength and the purpose of which it was created. Everyone, no matter their background or ethnicity, no matter their identity or their choices, everyone is a worshiper, only a believer. does not matter what religion they claim or don't claim. doesn't matter how atheist they may think they are. They are given their devotion to someone in particular. And so the real question If the things that this world offers don't have us, if they are false gods that will never actually fetch, who promise much and deliver nothing, then who is in charge? That's the question that the Bible preoccupies our minds. Who will actually be in charge? Who actually is in charge of everything? Who can you actually call out to? And, and you're not just saying things from the scriptures, the answer to the question is that we are to worship the one who is in charge. And so this psalm then begins with a call. Uh, the author invites us to sing to Yahweh, who lifts our voices toward him because he is the very foundation and creator of our salvation. We are to gather together with an attitude of We sing our faith in And that's not a bad thing, but that we have really lost sight of if we forget that knowledge in and of itself isn't power. Knowledge is only useful in Simply having Google in your pocket or being able to access Siri doesn't actually mean you know it. Those only matter if you take whatever knowledge and start living it.
either take that knowledge of who God is and we act as we have been doing this week by gathering together and hearing our brothers and sisters in Christ saying what is true. And so being built up and encouraged in our Second, we are to do this in His place. At the setting at the time of the Psalms would have been when God's people were gathered together here to worship. And true, it looks a little different, but our modern parallel is that we are to come together to worship in His place as an act of worship. Now, how do we do church? Especially in our post-COVID modern era where you can get online, you know, you can watch sermons, you can watch this sermon on the way to church. How can we do church? Well, there's a whole bunch of reasons we could give, but the one given here is that we are to come together to worship as His people and united in this place. Friends, we, we sing together during our service not simply because that's tradition or because that's what Christians ought to do. Instead, we Christians are to be worshipers and we do that He's done everything that the Bible teaches, 
that evening. And I worked with God because he was uniquely prepared. That's what Jude is. Secondly, this God is the creator of everything. His strength is limitless. His hands are powerful. From the the deeps of the sea to the pinnacles of the mountains, God is in control. And he sees the heavens and the earth. For the dry land, he created it all. Think about that. Everything that you and I see, all that we know, belongs to God. Every bit of it. Every part of it is his work. That's where we work. Third, this God then works perfectly as our maker. I want you to notice how the psalms keep marrying the two. Marriage is good. It's not only that God has created everything around us, everything we see and behold, it's also that God knows us. You and I and wonderful children who are dedicated to the Lord, as we saw today. He's created each of us. We are to bow to him in reverence, to, to kneel before him in wonder. This God is our maker, or as the psalm says, our maker is a tender redeemer. He's Notice that he's our maker not only in the creation sense, but he's also our maker of the he is the one who has gathered us together. He is the one who has given us identity and purpose to understand. This is what God has done. Fourth, then, it's not just that God is somewhere out there, powerful, creating, doing something, but this God is sovereign. He claims to be sovereign. We belong to him. We have the privilege of calling upon him. We are the sheep. He is the shepherd. Wayward though we are, he does not abandon us. Surging through these psalms, brothers and sisters, don't be fooled to have the Lord look at you. Fuel your worship. This is the God you sing to, the God you trust, the God you cry out to. Joy to the world. These things about God are the things that we we trust. This is heaven for sure. Men and women, this is our God. We're his sovereign. And what better way to respond to him then than to worship him? Joy to the world. Joy to the world. Psalm ends with a warning. It's given all the truth. Beware that you go beyond this warning. We pick up at the end of verse 7. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Machpelah in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my heart. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said, They are a people who go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. So these fail miserably. I think there's something that's gotten lost in our secular society, our secular minds. 
considering non-religious we have these notions of truth that aren't really true in the weekly reading or in the homily that might be more true than another we hold these sorts of things right we live in a culture where we're told that no one's actually right and actually wrong and in this kind of world we are constantly in danger of something flying into the wrong Say to everyone and everything. To ignore him then is everyone's problem. The true things of life are not simply opinions. They're not just preferences that you can take or leave depending on your personal feeling. No, there is right and wrong. There is true and false. There is discrimination. So to take the subject of this psalm, if you and I were made to worship, if God is truly good and great, as seen in this psalm, then no. Then to not worship Him, to ignore Him, to give your worship to anyone or, or anything else, is not true. So the same as saying that there's no such thing as truth or worth, that even if there is truth, it's a
Thank you. 